Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 44. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at kind of an introduction to the gospel according to John. And uh, we'll, we'll see how far we get into John, but uh, I think it's appropriate to just spend some time and, and look at what makes John uh, different than the other gospels. Uh, but first, maybe a little bit about John himself. What do we know about John? Well, according to tradition, John was the youngest disciple um, he is, uh, maybe this is a little self-serving on his part, but he refers to himself in uh, John chapter 20, verse 26, as the one that Jesus loved. Uh, again, maybe a little self-serving. I suspect strongly that Jesus loved all of the uh, apostles, just as he loves all of us. Uh, John also took care of Mary. We see that in chapter 20, verse 27, where Jesus uh, essentially uh, gives Mary uh, the care of Mary over to John. We'll discuss that in more detail when we get there. We learn that uh, later on in life, he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, an island in the Mediterranean. If you must be imprisoned, that might not be a really bad place to, uh, to be imprisoned. Um, this person was the author of not only the Gospel of John, but also the Book of Revelation, which we will cover later on, and 1st, 2nd, and possibly 3rd John as well. These were very, very short letters. May or may not have been composed by the actual Apostle John, perhaps composed by a follower of John who might have, uh, you know, sat at the feet of, uh, of John. as the last gospel uh, written. Um, what we will see is that uh, it's a radically different approach to the life of Christ than the first three Gospels. You'll recall the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, we refer to as the synoptic Gospels. That is to say, see together, sin, in other words, together, optic, see together. And uh, each of them uh, used, you know, somewhat of the, the same sources. Mark was a source, a source for Matthew and uh, Luke. But uh, John kind of does his own thing there. And the thing that will strike you the most about John's gospel is the emphasis. John's gospel emphasizes Jesus' divinity. The other three gospels emphasized Jesus' humanity, if, if you will. That's certainly not to say that the first three did not uh, certainly acknowledge Jesus' divinity, because they, they certainly did. But John really emphasizes it. Also, uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, you get a sense that Jesus was kind of a suffering servant, if you will, uh, in service of mankind. Whereas, in John's emphasis, which, as we already said, is on Jesus' divinity, we see that Jesus is always in control of the situation. Uh, spoiler alert, 
even when uh, discussing what was going to happen to him on the cross, uh, Jesus in John says, he doesn't say, I'm going to be crucified. He says, and after I am lifted up, you know, see, so lift up uh, like a hero in sports after he wins the game is lifted up on the shoulders of their teammates. So Jesus is lifted up. He's always in control. Okay. Um, if you like symbolism, John's gospel is for you because virtually everything has more than one meaning to it. So if you're a real deep thinker, which I am not, but uh, perhaps you are, um, you will enjoy the symbolism in John, both in terms of numbers. Whenever there's a number mentioned, it is not a coincidence. You will see the number three used frequently. You will see the number seven used so often that you'll probably get sick of seeing the number seven. Well, I hope you don't get sick. But as an example of this, there are seven signs uh, that point to Jesus' divinity. And I'm not going to give you all of those references, all of those scripture references right now, because it may well be that you're driving your car. So uh, what I will do instead is, along with every lesson, if you, you've probably figured out by now, there is also a key points sheet that uh, points them out. So I think I will list those uh, Bible verses that show the seven signs of Jesus' divinity and where we can find those on that sheet. So um, take my word for it. There are seven signs of Jesus' divinity. And if I remember, when we get to each of them, when we actually open up the Gospel of John, uh, I will point them out to you. There are also seven testimonies of Jesus' divinity from various sources, John the Baptist, etc. And uh, for the same reason, I will point those out as we, uh, as we go along. Um, Jesus is the Word. He's the light. He's the Lamb. Um, and uh, um, he goes in, in, the word glory is mentioned 15 times in the, in the Gospel of, of John. In the Gospel of John, unlike Luke and Matthew, we don't see a genealogy, or do we? Um, we, in other words, we don't see him uh, coming into the world as a man, you know, being born, you know, in a manger, you know, etc., in a house, whatever. Um, we we see kind of what we'll call an eternal genealogy um, in very simply in chapter one, verse two, where it says that he, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, so he was all eternal. Also in John, we see it frequently contrasted, the idea of light, Jesus being the light of the world, versus darkness, that being the thinking of the world or the thinking of people who were uh, antithetical towards Christ. Um, he uses, uh, John's gospel uses the word believe 98 times. He uses the word world as kind of a counterpoint to Jesus 78 times. He uses the word truth or true 20 times, okay? And believe, um, I, I should say parenthetically, 
that when when John talks about the word believe, he is not talking, you know, and he says you must believe. He's not talking about a merely merely an intellectual assent. He is talking about a belief that is lived out in terms of your actions. And that is so important because if you're listening to this from a Protestant perspective, you know, um, and I will point this out as we as we get into the, the lessons more, um, you might be thinking, hey, you know, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And we would agree with that assessment, but we would add to that, but belief is more than an, an intellectual assent. As an example of that, the devil himself believes in Jesus Christ, uh, believes that he is who he says he is, but he does not follow Jesus. And in fact, in uh, the book of James, James even says, hey, you believe in God. Well, super, whoop-de-doo for you. So does the devil and his demons, and they tremble at the at the thought of him, but they believe in him, okay? So um, there are uh, three words that really differentiate Catholic understanding of Scripture from many Protestant understandings of Scripture. And I know it's difficult to paint Protestantism with a broad brush because there are, you know, 35,000 now plus denominations out there. Um, and um, we are not, by the way, as Catholics, we are not a denomination. A denomination is something that divides. We are the numerator, if you will, if you follow the, the uh, <clears throat> you know, the math analogy. We were first. Everything else that came after that is a denominator, something that causes division, if you will. But enough on that. Um, there are three words I'd like you to just kind of um, keep this in, in perspective. Three words that kind of differentiate Catholics from Protestants. And one of them is the word believe or belief. What do we think that it means? What do others who came 1,500 years after us and thus missed the first three quarters of the history of Christianity, what is their understanding of belief? Okay, we already semi-covered that, and we'll get into more detail in another lesson on that. Uh, another word that is causes a lot of difference between Catholics and Protestants is the word works, and we'll get into that when we discover uh uh, Paul's writings. Um, and uh, the third one, uh, I will just let that lie for now and, uh, you know, let you think about what that word might be, and we'll come to that another time. Okay, another thing that's unique to John's gospel is there is virtually no social teaching in John's gospel. If you want social teaching on, you know, divorce and things of that nature, uh, you will find that um, in Matthew's gospel. And if you if you want social teaching, you will also find, well, you know, you'll find it in the synoptics. But Luke talks an awful lot about treatment of the poor, you know. And uh, so uh, if you're looking for that in John's gospel, you won't find that so much. In fact, in John's gospel, there's only one commandment mentioned in John's gospel, that being love one another. 
John prays, and this is a famous prayer, Jesus in the garden, and we'll cover this in more detail when we get there. He prays for unity. Jesus says, I pray that my disciples might all be as what? One, okay, not one of 35,000 denominations. He wanted us to all be one. And again, uh, just as a review, uh, John's gospel is highly symbolic. Perhaps for some of you, it may be frustratingly symbolic, but you're going to see the word, uh, the number seven, the number three. Uh, and we're going to also see where Jesus' actions and his words remind us of Old Testament events. So that is how we will connect Jesus with uh, you know, the, uh, the prophecies of him in the Old Testament. So enough about Jesus, uh, or I should say enough talking about the Gospel of John. We've got a few minutes left, so why don't we open up uh, the book, unless you're driving, of course, and look at chapter 1 of John. First thing we see is we know that God is a big baseball fan. Because it says in the very first words of the Gospel of John, in the beginning, or you might say, in the big inning. So, uh, sorry to put you through that, but it was just, uh, I'm a baseball fan, so I just wanted to throw that in there. So, a little, little Bible baseball humor there. But um, in the beginning, now, let's break that down. If you look at the very beginning of the Bible, that is to say Genesis 1, it starts out with what? In the beginning. Now, do you think, here we're three words deep into, the, into John's gospel, and uh, we already see something that at first glance, it would, it would not really strike us, but we see that everything that John says can refer to something else. Do you think it is an accident? Do you think that it is a coincidence that John begins the his first words of his gospel with the same words that were used in uh, Genesis in the first book of the Bible? No, that also begins with in the beginning. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1 verse 3 goes on to say, let there be light. And, uh, you know, uh, it says God's word caused, in Genesis, it says God's word caused something to be created. So let's move on. In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, now I'll give you a sleight of hand here. Our Jehovah's Witnesses friends, who incidentally didn't come along until what, the late 1800s, something like that, have kind of uh, perverted this, uh, this first verse here. And they'll say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they are not willing to um, say that uh, Christ is, you know, part of the, the Trinity, you know, co-existent co, uh, with God from the beginning of time. So in the beginning was the Word. So Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God is not merely the Bible. And when I was in the Protestant world and teaching classes there, I would ask, you know, 
uh, what is the Word of God? And I had about 60 people or so, maybe more than that, in my class. And every hand went up, and or at least everyone agreed with the person who said, the Word of God is the Bible. And we would say, no, turn in your Bible to um, John chapter 1, verse 1, what we just looked at. And we see that in the beginning was the Word, capital W. So the Word is the Word of God is not a book, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And it is that person that we have a relationship with or should have a relationship and follow. The book is a way to develop that relationship. And the book is certainly part of the Word of God, but it is not the exclusively, the Word of God is not exclusively in the Bible though the Bible certainly points to he who is the word, capital W, of God. Well, I'm about out of words for this little 20-minute segment. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and reflect on uh, what we know about John's gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we thank you for this slightly different take, slightly different angle on Jesus Christ and who he is. And while we recognize that we can synergize all four of the Gospels easily enough, we are thankful for the different points of emphasis that each Gospel makes. So help us to reflect on the divinity of Christ and uh, help us to recognize that we are not merely following a man, but that we are following the divine and that we can have confidence in the direction of the divine Christ. Um, guide us through and help us make us aware of the symbolism that we are about to go through as we cover the rest of the, uh, of the gospel. And uh, uh, open our eyes to um, the, the signs that of, of Christ's divinity. Most importantly, help us to reflect on what are we supposed to do with this information uh, that we are supposed to believe, and that belief uh, translates into a changed life. So um, help us with all that. Give us those graces. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So next time, we're going to come back uh, to John chapter 1 and dig into it a little further and um, see if we can unpack this. Uh, again, um, if as always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholic at, uh, excuse me, jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. And until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study.